Hold on to your butts. Hello and welcome to episode 52 of the Reviewed Movie Podcast. I am Ivan Kander and as always I am joined by my two handsome debonair co-hosts Dave Glanz and Mike Morandi. Say hello gentlemen. Hello, hello gentlemen. gentlemen. And this is the podcast. Oh, that was sad. <laughs> that was a very sad <laughs> clinking of the glass. Again, Mike is joining us remotely from the, um, the suburbs of Washington, D.C. Uh, calling in via Skype. Um, so the glass clinking is always very, very sad. Am I supposed to be able to hear you in my headphones? Uh, no. Okay. Can you hear me because I'm standing right next to you? <laughs> Does that work? <laughs> Just double check it. Okay. <laughs> um, and this is the podcast where we talk about classic movies in a modern cinematic context. If this is your first time listening to this show, and God help you if that's the case, you can find us on the web at reviewedpodcast.com. You can email us at facebook.com slash reviewedpodcast. Sorry, you can email us at contact at reviewedpodcast.com, and you can like us at facebook.com slash reviewedpodcast. Podcast, And on this week's episode, we are going to be talking about the John McTiernan film uh, starring Bruce Willis, the classic seminal action film, Die Hard. It's Christmas Eve in L.A. California. Is Daddy coming home soon? Well, we'll see what Santa and Mommy can do, okay? A New York cop, John McClane, has come to see his wife. I missed you. Instead... He's going to have to save her. Sit down. Within this skyscraper high above the city, 12 terrorists have declared war. They're about to be taught a lesson in the real use of power. There is brilliant. Because I am interested in the $640 million in your vault. As they are ruthless. And I'm telling you, you're just going to have to kill me. Okay. We do it the hard way. Now, the last thing McLean wants... Think, damn it, think! ...is to be a hero. Where's Howie? Hey, Tucker! Where? But he doesn't have a choice. What does he think he's doing? <laughs> job. What a trailer. <laughs> That's good. Crazy, a lot of people die really hard in this movie. <laughs> oh, like boy. not not so much like the way Bruce Willis is is die hard. Oh, I thought you people... were leading into a um How many days were you uh, waiting to say that one? Oh, just like maybe like 2 seconds. I pretty much thought it right up on the spot. Oh, wow. very clever. I thought yeah. you were leading into a um a joke about So this po- mm. this was recommended for us to to talk about via listener around Christmas time, and we're just getting around to it now. It also happens to star Alan Rickman, mm. who recently passed away. So, guys, I think just we, last week, I think crazy. We, I think yeah. we killed Alan Alan Rickman. Yeah, um, I think I, the same thing happened with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, Harold Ramis. We um we are take and it's just it's uh, it's very sad because I mean I love Alan Rickman as an actor. I love him too. Yeah, and, this it was really sad for me to hear that. Yeah, and uh, so it is kind of. Um, you know, it's, it's rare that an actor dies and then everyone's like, I didn't really like that guy. <laughs> like Hayden Christensen. <laughs> well, he's still alive. Um, when O.J. Simpson goes, that's what everyone's going to say. Um, <laughs> no, but like, um, it's it's oddly lugubrious doing this discussion. Uh, lugubrious? In, yes. That's an SAT word. Yes, it is. Uh, oddly mournful. Um, there's a bit of sadness in this discussion of this uh, great action film, um, you know, because... Uh, of that and it's also but it's also gives a, a good opportunity to talk about why people are so sad about him dying because he's such a great actor um and it, it is kind of cliche to mourn the death of someone you don't know like it's like it's oddly impersonal right it's like something the internet has made 
because, you know, we're all kind of connected on this series of digital tubes. I will say, though, that um, actors and musicians and, uh, you know, people that are in the spotlight, celebrities, the reason their deaths get so much publicity is because they unite they unite people. Like we all have a common ground because we've all watched Die Hard. So it's, um, I think that's, I think there is something culturally significant about that. Um, but yeah, not to get too um, mopey and sad at the start of this discussion. Let's talk about Die Hard, guys. And what I want to talk about, and I was worried about doing this movie for a variety of reasons because I, I personally think Die Hard is a perfect movie. Like I think it is. One, I think if, if 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 there is no best movie ever made, obviously, but I think this is an example of pure cinema, and I mean that in um, the least pretentious way possible. I mean, there are a lot of film school students that would argue that Citizen Kane is like the essence of cinema because of what it's doing stylistically and how important that movie is. But in terms of movies as a form of entertainment, as movies as great art being something that is digestible by large audiences... Um, this idea of just why we watch film, Die Hard is a representative example of that. And Die Hard is the movie that spawned a million imitators. Everything after Die Hard was Die Hard in something else, uh, whether it be on something. or on something or in some Die Hard in a plane, Die Hard on a bus, which is speed, which we've talked about. Right, right. Die, Hard yeah. on, Die Hard on a boat. <laughs> speed too. Speed too. Cruise control. <laughs> um, so it's it is I think significant to talk. Uh, about this movie in the sense, and I'm going to start with you, Mike, is um, what is Die Hard's magic formula? When this movie comes out in 1988, why does it suddenly become the thing that everyone wants to imitate? I, and I'm before, sorry, and do you want to like give a plot synopsis of Die Hard or no? Oh, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> someone get a plot synopsis. Do you want me to read the IMDb page real quickly? No, I think uh, we can sum it up. Um, we can do it. Dave, take it away. Go ahead, right, man. Die Hard. Uh, a New York cop uh, is visiting his wife and family in Los Angeles. His wife is relocated to Los Angeles for a job with a Japanese corporation. And uh, it's Christmas Eve, and terrorists are about to take over the building, the Nakatomi Plaza. And it's up to John McClane, played by Bruce Willis, to save the hostages, uh, not get anyone killed. But the hostages and uh, come out alive. Here you go. Interesting. One you man said a group versus of, terrorists. You said a group of terrorists, and I think They're it's not, actually a group of thieves. Right. Um, they aren't. Or uh, right. but it, uh, exceptional thieves. Spoiler alert. But yes. anyway. <laughs> yes, you don't know that they're just thieves until they're actually in the building right, and right. talking, right? Yes, you're right. It's a, it's, a, it's a heist. It's a heist. It's a heist film. and a, it's, it's, See, this is why Die Hard's. Well, I'll get into why it's amazing. <laughs> Mike, go ahead. Why, why is that right. great? All right, right. Okay, well, I, I think I'm always talking about, uh, I think, plot and character as being, like, really what a backbone of a movie should be, right? I think all the best movies are the ones that are uh, most centered around the characters and their struggles. And I think the reason why Die Hard um, probably rings true to so many people is that the characters, though, they are a little bit comic booky. Um they're all very human and we're understanding all their human mundane struggles as well. Um, I can't really think of too many action movies where our protagonist um, is really ever shown in a situation of like real vulnerability or real weakness or um, makes a lot of mistakes. And I think we get to see a, a lot of really interesting scenes with John McClane where like after he's walking around on the glass and his feet are bleeding and he's in the bathroom, he's basically crying and he thinks he's dead. He's going to die. And he's telling, um, is his name Al? Al, right? 
Yeah. Al, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He's telling him basically, hey, tell my wife these things because I'm not going to survive this. And I, my feet are bleeding out. Like I've lost probably a liter of blood. Um, and we get to see that moment of him like being really vulnerable. We get to see him like really struggling to come up with a solution for things. But at the same time, we also see him do some really cool stuff too. So he's in some way like imperfect. And I, I think this kind of goes a little bit out the window. Uh, I like the first half of this movie much better than the second half. And we can get into that later. But I, I, I think that the beginning, it is very realistic and very grounded in the sense of, for an action movie, these characters are real. They're not just cartoon cutouts for the most part. You know what I'm saying? I think that they are, there is some archetype stuff going on, but I feel like they flesh out the characters enough to kind of make, I mean, think about John McClane. He has to admit the fact that he thought his wife was going to fail at her job and come crawling back to him. And she didn't. And she's doing very well. And he's going to have to kind of go over and apologize if he wants her back. Like all these these elements, it's the same reason why I think Jaws is such a good movie, is that you have these characters that are struggling with real human relatable things in addition to the action that's going on. Action is really a vehicle for the drama that you're setting up by making these characters, putting them in certain positions, um, and have them struggle with certain things. I think if you don't set that up, the action is meaningless. Um, and I think that's, you know, that, that, that's, I think, an example of that. You kind of look at, you know, the old, the... Star Wars prequels and the most recent Star Wars movie where you can see how much more attention to detail the characters are given and what a, what a difference it pays off in the action sequences, etc. So I think I've talked enough. I think <laughs> that's my big thing. I, that's what I like most about the movie. I think the characters are very memorable. I think they're very well developed and I think they're very human. So Dave, Bubby, <laughs> why is Dyer... White Knight. Be, be our <laughs> White Knight, Dave. Hans, Bubby, <laughs> why is Die Hard amazing? Uh, well, because it's, um, see the thing about calling anything a perfect movie, I, I'm just hesitant to call anything a perfect movie because I, I'm, I guess I'm just not a fan of perfection. I mean, it's, there's always going to be something wrong, something to aspire to. I mean, there's always going to be something that a movie can do better than Die Hard. And I mean, there are movies that have done action, I would say better than Die Hard, but I don't know if there's a, a movie that has done action, drama, comedy, uh, callbacks to other genres, um, you know, combined with just very precise filmmaking skill, cinematography, I mean, the, in the, you know, with uh, relatable characters, as Mike was saying, quite in the same, uh, you know, it's almost like a lightning struck with Die Hard. And I don't know that it was quite, uh, I don't know that it was recognized in the same, it wasn't, um, I think it was well-reviewed when it came out, but I don't think it was seen as, uh, as a seminal act, I mean, obviously movies aren't, it's rare for a movie to come out and be seen as a seminal action movie. You know, I would say something like Mad Max Fury Road that came out this year was kind of given that kind of praise when it came out. And I mean, maybe something like The Matrix when it came out. Sure, uh, but, yeah. you know, Die Hard came and it was a well-reviewed action thriller. And then, you know, it didn't, beca- it didn't, uh, it didn't really gain its reputation until many years later, um, you know, with the success of, of, imitators and the success of the actual film itself with sequels and Bruce Willis's career, you know, skyrocketing after that. Um, but I want to just step back and talk about, remember I, I, I opened IMDb just a few minutes ago. I saw the poster for Die Hard, and it just brought me back to being a kid. Cause this movie opened in 1988. I was 12 years old and I wasn't seeing rated R movies at that point, but I do remember seeing, I used to read the movie ads in the newspaper. You know, I used to love to open up the, the movie section of the newspaper. You'd see, like, you know, the big posters, and I guess they still do that, right? Um, 40 Stories of Sheer Adventure. I thought Die Hard was one of those anthology movies. 
Like, <laughs> oh, like four like, different, like, story. how did they manage to fit 40 stories in a two hour movie? <laughs> oh, like, <laughs> like a literal, like narratives, a literal, yes, the, the, the tagline above the poster says 40 stories of sheer adventure. And then I just want <laughs> to ar- argue good. my case for the, uh, the whole, uh, terrorist thing the, it, it says after that high above the city of LA a team of terrorists has seized the building taken hostages and declared war one man has managed to escape an off-duty cop hiding somewhere inside he's alone tired and he's the only chance that anyone has got die hard Bruce Willis die hard so it kind of the longest tagline ever I know, on the poster. Well, movies don't typically these days movies don't have that much you know about them because you, you know, just go on the internet and find all of everything yeah, you know no, about them. nobody's uh, yeah people's attention spans aren't long enough to read, you know, two sentences anyway. So, um, anyway, what, the reason this movie works so well is, uh, I would say I'm going to try to boil it down to just a few things. Uh, Bruce Willis's performance. I think that, uh, action, he was, he was kind of a new, uh, at the time, a new kind of action, uh, hero. He was taking, uh, elements of that character was kind of taking elements of the cowboy, which they reference in the movie all the time, talking about John Wayne and Gary Cooper and high noon, um, and updating them to kind of uh, become a little more on par with movies like you would see with uh, Chuck Norris and Charles Bronson and then Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, you know Rambo and Sylvester Stallone and those kinds of movies. The hero is a little more muscular, a little tougher. But what those movies didn't have that this movie does is the vulnerability of its main character. And Bruce Willis is really good at playing uh, kind of smarmy vulnerability in a way. It's it's hard to describe what he's really good at. He was really he, you know his his best performances are are usually ones where he's he's kind of cocky, uh, but he also gets a chance to kind of he's he's good at showing the vulnerable side in the way that say someone like Harrison Ford can. It's not something that uh, you know Schwarzenegger say has ever been good at. You wouldn't you wouldn't call him a, a, the same kind of actor. Um, so right. I think Bruce Willis is 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 a major um, reason this, this movie works so well. Uh, and John McTiernan uh, and uh, his collaboration with Yon DeBond, the cinematographer. I mean, they just they click uh, perfectly. I think when they when they work together. I think they worked on this together and Predator. Was it Predator? I think was the movie they made before this, and maybe The Hunt for October After. Uh, I think this is definitely the best movie of the three. Um, but uh, Yon DeBond was just such an interesting stylist when it came to the way he used lenses and the way he he set up scenes and uh, the way they they uh, kind of you know, kept everything moving. And even today, it doesn't feel, it's one of those action movies that doesn't feel slow. Sometimes action movies, even 10 years on, start to, for whatever reason, uh, the action starts to feel a little bit, uh, you know, I'm not boring. I don't, I hate using the word boring, but boring. I mean, this movie uh, sets up situations, pays them off, and, you know, just very well filmed, very well directed. And uh, I'd say the humor of the movie, I mean, really helps. I mean, it's a, it's a really terrific script. It's just really, it just moves. Uh, the humor doesn't feel tacked on. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's dramatic when it needs to be. It's funny when it needs to be. And uh, it's got a pretty great ending, I'd say. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned Jan DeBont, who went on, his protege that went on to actually be the director of Speed right. and Speed 2. Um, he's the cinematographer of this movie. This movie is... Um, is unique because um, it was shot with anamorphic lenses, um, and it gives the film a very it gives the film an amazing visual look. And mm-hmm. uh, what that means is they shoot so they shoot the uh, the 
They shoot so the picture fills the entire 35 millimeter film frame and then stretch it out later in post. So what happens is the depth of field becomes shallower and then all the bokeh, all the lights and stuff, which in this case is the landscape of Los Angeles, which is, you know, always in the background, it creates a very unique look to the bokeh where it's not quite circular. It looks oval. a little oval. Yeah. And I think that it is, I don't know, it just, when I see that, it just feels very diehard. Yeah, a, a lot of the lens flares have the same effect. Exactly. Mm. And, and that's an example of, you know, anamorphic lens flares yeah. being in camera and natural, nothing added. And it just really gives us, the, the movie has an incredible look to it. Um, and I, I actually own this movie on Blu-ray and I, I would highly recommend watching it in HD because of that, um, because I think the visuals are so strong. Uh, but let's get into reasons, Ivan's reasons why Die Hard is a perfect movie <laughs> to combat Dave's comment that there is no perfect movie. Um, and I'll, I'll start with my first, my first reason, and it's going to start with Alan Rickman uh, being this villain, Hans Gruber, as, as Mike pointed out, not just a thief, an exceptional thief, exceptional which, is a, thief. which is a great line, by the way. Um, <laughs> but in the way he delivers, it is amazing. Um, Hans Gruber is not only a great villain, he's one of the rare great villains that has a great bad guy plan. And the reason I mention this is most... What is going on? Sorry. <laughs> Dave, phone on silent, man. Come on. The problem with recording through... Dave, Dave is just doing all ADR sound I'm not effects. doing anything. It's, it's just an alert that popped up on the calendar. <laughs> um, uh, no, I, the, um, the, the thing is most, most action movies have bad guys and they can have memorable bad guys, but the plans are always really dumb. Like they're really dumb. Like their, their bad guy plan makes no sense. It's like the James Bond syndrome of like, we're going to, we need, um, we need to destroy the world or we're going to. We're going to hack something and then take over, you know, the United States. It's always something big and bombastic like that. And what I love about this movie is it sets you up for that. And then the twist of the film is the payoff that they just want money. And not only do they want money, it's a really clever plan on how to get money because they're going to pretend they're going to use all the action movie cliches of the time to pretend that they want something different. Um, so I think that's a really... Uh, intriguing thing that the movie does and beyond that uh rickman's delivery as hans gruber is amazing it takes seven minutes of screen time before he actually says a word um and when he does say words all his lines i feel like are memorable in this movie um and his reactions to mclean as things get further along are just absolutely amazing and even when he's pretending to be the hostage Bill Clay. Oh, so good. That scene is amazing. And the, the, yeah. I, I know I've seen this movie a million times. I know I've seen this movie a million times and I know how it's going to play out. I still think that moment has incredible tension when John McClane hands him a gun and mm -hmm. as an audience member, it's just phenomenal. So <laughs> that's my, that's one of the major reasons why I think this movie is so good. And then the second thing I want to touch upon is let's go to the late eighties and uh, late 80s, early 90s, we are at peak Schwarzenegger and we are at peak uh, Sly Stallone. We were at peak action hero. You know, we're at, this is the time of the buff macho man action hero, uh, a time that has now been replaced. Those movies have now been replaced in the cultural zeitgeist by superhero movies. That's, those are the kind of movies that have replaced them. Uh, but at this time, I mean, there wasn't a bigger star in the world, world than Schwarzenegger and Stallone. 
And both those people uh, play tough guys, uh, Amer- all American tough guys, ironic because Schwarzenegger is Austrian, but they play all American <laughs> tough guys. And as Mike alluded to, there is a vulnerability to John McClane, but at the same time, he's still a tough guy. He is a blue collar, uh, beer drinking, uh, Joe six pack tough guy that just happens to show just enough vulnerability that he's not Stallone and he's not Schwarzenegger. Like he's not, the, he's not an anti, he's not an anti version of that trope, but he is very much uh, a, a different take on that character. And I think part of that is the sarcasm and, and the humor and such. I'll say a big part of that also is that he shows uh, fear. I mean, he's, he's scared, but he's still doing what he has to do, right? I mean, that's not something you saw, you saw in a lot of action films up until this point. Yeah, he, he shows legitimate fear. And I think that the other great thing that he does is part of the joy of Die Hard is watching how a um, – so, like, I love watching um, this thing called, like uh, – I love movies where you watch really talented people be good at their craft. Yeah. And, and this is a movie about a clever guy being very clever, and it's a joy to watch him figure out how to get out of certain situations. Yeah. And how um, – I think it's thrilling uh, to – when he – when he, you know, makes the bomb out of the car, uh, not the car, out of the chair with the, the C4 and the computer monitor, that's like a great like MacGyver type moment. And it's it's wonderful watching him figure that out on screen and not explaining what he's doing, but just sh- showing how he's doing it. And when he figures things out, when he... Uh, when he sends the the dead brother down with the with the Santa cap, and it's just little things like that. And they they also show him like struggling with, you know, what am I gonna do? Come on, think, think, think. And you can kind of see him putting those pieces together on uh, on screen. It's it's great. And uh, yeah, and I don't. I think to Mike's point, I don't think anything in this movie is realistic, but it it feels very real in the world of the movie. If that yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yep, yep. And um, I think that that's what makes it all pay off. So I've been talking forever. I want to talk um, – I don't know if you guys want to touch upon – and Dave kind of touched upon this a little bit. But um, I, I guess how, how does the movie a- a balance tone? Uh, this idea that it's a dramatic action film that's also really funny, funnier than some of the best comedies, I'd argue. Um, right, so, yeah. So um, I, I guess how do, you, how do you make a comedic movie – that doesn't feel like okay. We talked about Bever- Beverly Hills Cop. I was earlier. just gonna say the same and thing. And that yeah. movie is a straight comedy, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't think that the. I mean, I really like that movie, but I don't think the stakes are ever to the point where you're actually scared that things could go badly for our hero. Where in Die Hard, there is, um, I you know, I don't think you're ever thinking he's gonna die, but there is peril in the film. And I guess how does the movie do that where Beverly Hills Cop does not? Uh, well, I mean, I think the character is more grounded. I think the hero is more grounded. And so when, the, when, uh, when there's humorous situations, it, it's more relatable. So, I mean, you know, Bruce Willis doesn't, uh, you know, he, we, we meet Bruce Willis, he's on a plane. He's, uh, you know, and the first thing we see him do is, uh, just like I was saying, he's like, he shows fear. That's the first thing we see him do is, is he's afraid of flying. He's holding onto the, uh, you know, the armrest of an airplane and uh, a fellow passenger has to kind of give him a tip, at, you know, to, you know, so when you, when you land, uh, you know what I do? I like fist with my toes, you know, fist with my toes. So he does, he ends <laughs> up doing that in the hotel, you know, in the, uh, in the Nakatomi Plaza. Um, so, you know, that's the kind of, I mean, just like we just, you just laughed at that because it was funny. I mean, it's it, the idea that they could set up uh, a funny, relatable situation, you know, at the beginning of the movie 
and, and, and not very, it's not very broad, you know, the humor isn't very broad, but it's relatable. So the things that happen, you know, we see original Vel Johnson who plays the, uh, the cop, uh, Al, uh, Al Powell, I think. And, uh, you know, the first thing we see him doing is buying Twinkies, you know, and he's, uh, you know, he, he, there's like a subtle exchange between him and the comedian store guy about, about weight and his wife being pregnant, et cetera, et cetera. And it's not played for, uh, it's not played broadly. It's played, you know, it's played down. And I think the humor that tends to last longer, um, for the most part, I mean, unless, unless you're Mel Brooks, I mean, I think humor works better. Uh, at, you know, I think the jokes remain funnier longer, you know, years later, the ones that are, uh, you know, not quite as broad, you know, the ones that you can, that are just kind of relatable. Uh, so I think the mixture of that kind of humor with, you know, the actual events of the movie, you know, it doesn't overwhelm. The humor doesn't overwhelm the action. The action doesn't overwhelm, overwhelm the humor. It's a hard balance to get. You know, you could, you could see, uh, you could see how uh, a different actor would definitely bring a different tone to the movie. I mean, obviously if they, they had, they recast Beverly Hills Cop. It was going to be Sylvester Stallone, and then it ended up being Eddie Murphy. I mean, imagine this movie with a different actor. I mean, this movie could have been um, let's say, let's Bill Murray. I mean, or, you know, or, or imagine some, this movie with Eddie Murphy or Eddie Murphy, right? Um, you know, I, and I think that actually I think that might have been an interesting movie. But it, it is it is very interesting how this movie is cast and why why it's also important. Um, so, Mike, I um, you watched this with your girlfriend, right? Yep. So she had never seen Die Hard before? Right, right. I, I'm very curious to what her reaction to the movie was. Like she liked it. It didn't seem like she disliked it at any point. Um, <laughs> like, I think it's, she winced at a couple spots, like with all the, you know, the glass feet thing. Um, but nothing about it was like, oh, come on. Like, she didn't make any kind of comments about, like, you know, not liking it or anything like that. She seemed to be on board with it the whole time. Um, I think it's somewhat relatable. I think as a, as an action movie can be, um, because you do have a, I mean, John McClane's wife, like Holly Gennaro is Holly, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, she's still a very strong character. And I think even though she has a sort of minimal role in the movie, wherever she does have a role, you kind of respect her. So I feel like there's, she has a, a strong female presence, maybe not necessarily like for a very long time on the screen, not a lot of screen time, but um, good character. And I think John McClane, it's, you know, it's somebody coming to terms with, you know, more so than fighting off these, these guys, these terrorists, these bad guys, it's him figuring out how to reconcile things with his wife and how to be a good husband in addition to being a good cop, you know? Um, so I feel like that, that extra layer kind of lends itself to a movie that women can watch and, and still get something out of it. Um, just the amount, just the right amount of sentiment in the movie. I'd say. Right. Exactly. I think so. Um, for sure. Um, and I think that, I mean, this, I mean, Die Hard's a total guy movie, right? Like, but at the same time, I, I respect the movie for having a strong female character. Um, I also respect the movie for giving us these side characters that are have just so yeah. like they have very little screen time, but so you got much Argyle, you, you have, have Ellis, you have yeah. Argyle, you have Harry Ellis, comedic side character of all time. Like everything, <laughs> just his great. laugh, <laughs> like his laugh is. I don't know how. Do they instruct him to do that? Like it's just so good. It's obvious you're not some dumb schmuck up here to snatch a few purses. Am I right? I watch sixty minutes. I say to myself, these guys are professional. They're motivated. They're happening, i.e., they want something, huh? Maybe you're pissed off at the camel jockeys, maybe it's the Heaves, Northern Island. It's none of my business. I figure you're here to negotiate, am I right? Hey, business is business. You use a gun, I use a fountain pen. What's the difference? Am I right? 
Hans, Bobby, I'm your white knight. Like when they first see him, he's um, the whole movie is this great like satire of '80s like yuppie culture because Ellis yeah. is like the yuppie trash. Like he's he's doing coke in the in in the holiday party. He talks about Rolexes. Yeah, he talks. He's 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 obsessed with commerce and money. This thing that was bred out of the boon of '80s wealth. It's the Wall Street mentality, right? It's the the thing Oliver Stone yeah, was making fun I, I, of in felt, Wall Street. So. I was gonna say I, I felt the same way. I feel like the movie's almost like preaching against wealth and, and money like the fact that you know she uh, holly survives because she lets go of her rolex like i thought was like hmm yeah symbolic <laughs> a little bit much you know oh i don't know oh, you know what I, i've seen this movie a million times i've never once like put the connection between them mentioning the rolex in the beginning and then that's how i'm falling at the end oh yeah right right yeah but like this is why the movie is so good is it's everything this movie is set up and then paid off um every little thing the, the opening of the movie as dave said is him t- being told to make um, fist with his toes on the carpet um, but that ends up being one of the great flaws of what happens in the movie because he doesn't have shoes on for the yeah. entire movie right which uh, I think is great That that's something that is talk about vulnerability I mean my god I cannot imagine you know being in a situation without having anything on your feet for protection and he's running around <laughs> his feet are black by the end of the movie I, bleeding I can, like I can great pl- idea I complain about like walking on the floor barefoot my home is my feet get cold. Imagine, like, <laughs> right. It, right. Imagine how cold his feet were. <laughs> the coldest feet. Um, well, but, it's LA. <laughs> but I mean, just the fact that um, even Argyle has a counterpart in this. The limo ba- driver. The limo driver has this, you know, counterpart in this band of thieves, where the nerdy, um, the nerdy black guy, the, the other, the nerdy, <laughs> the other nerdy black guy in the movie. Right. But even Argyle is given a payoff to why he's there. He stops him from escaping as a fake paramedic. So it, right. it's there. And see, that's something like I. That's kind of like the issue I had a little bit toward the end of the movie is that it got a little bit too neat. Like everyone had like. I liked Argyle's role. I thought, I mean, part of me is thinking like, well, how come they didn't notice him and wax him early in the movie? You know what I mean? Like, how did they not see, for somebody so attentive to detail, how did they just not miss the limousine chilling in the parking lot? I liked his, but that, that was okay. The one that really bothered me is um, is Al Powell's. Okay. I, you know what, Mike? I agree with you, but keep going. Oh. I, I, and this time it, it stood out to me more than not. Uh, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's. I think it, it's the whole second half of the movie starts like it feels like it goes into gratuitous action where I felt like a Hollywood producer looked at it and said, "It's great, needs more explosions." And hey, how about this guy? He needs to have his redemption. Which, for the love of God, his redemption is the work he's doing as being the only competent cop in the entire <laughs> district. Like that's his redemption. He's like he's just kind of helping John McClane the entire time. Like we didn't need to have this stupid moment. He with finally the guy. fires his gun for a good, come on, a good reason. Come on. Right? Well, I, I, and actually my girlfriend liked that. She actually commented like specifically about it. She's like, I like that. He had his own moment. Like, but I was like, eh, I don't know. No, I agree with you. And the, the, the thing is, I actually do like this tragic idea of this backstory of this beat cop that has been taken yeah. off. I, I like that. I, yeah, it, I agree. It, I agree. It just, you, I agree with you. The fact that he has to redeem himself at the end by shooting the final terrorist who somehow managed to miraculously get down and survive um, <laughs> right. is is a little neat. Um, it's not something that's bothered me previously, but it, it did it did feel like an extra note that the movie just it, it feels like it gilds the lily just a it little bit. It felt manufactured and saccharine and, and Hollywood BS kind of like oh everyone's happy like that's you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah I kind of I kind of agree. Uh, I also think that it is a little. He, he he offers up the information about shooting a child 
uh, a little too readily. A little too- yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I agree with you. Uh, but at too. the same time, I realize that they have a, a bond and a relationship in the movie that no one else seems to, especially because everyone on the police force is is, is hilariously incompetent, including the FBI, um, which another great two side characters, Agents Johnson and Johnson, which no is relation. a <laughs> which is such a slapsticky thing to do, but again works it, in the movie, and it has my. It's uh, like Saigon. <laughs> I was in high school, asshole. I was in high school, dickweed, which is like a great <laughs> a junior high. <laughs> But again, that is an amazing quip that just is hilarious. That, that line's hilarious. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, yeah, that was I, I got a belly laugh out of that when I saw that. Um, so and 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 just so many hilarious lines, and even John McClane's quips I think are really well handled. When she's like, "This line's for emergencies, uh, emergencies only." It's like, "What do you think? I'm trying to order a pizza." Like, it's just <laughs> all those lines still get me every time. Like I think about them. So I think the writing is really. Very strong uh, comedically. Um, so let, let's talk about um, stakes in the movie and this idea of... because uh, So the reason Die Hard is often in t- imitated is this idea of if we keep things in a central location, like it automatically create it, it creates tension immediately because our characters can't get out. They're forced to stay in this one sort of place. Um, I guess, how does the movie play with that? Um, well, here's the thing about Die Hard is that he could escape, right? How I mean, though? He, I mean, he could just, I mean, just as simply as he uh, goes up the stairs to uh, kind of figure out what to do, he, he could just go down the stairs and run out the front of the entrance. No, he can't. Every, everything, all the entrances are locked and barred, and I think they make a very clear point to... Well, I think they make a clear point to have uh, the security bar, security guard uh, in the front desk be replaced by one of the terrorists just to keep up the facade of a normal building, a normal Christmas Eve. But I don't think there's – I don't think the reason um, – I don't think he's stuck in this building. I think he chooses to stay and chooses to remain. Uh, I think the – I think that's maybe a fair point. I, I, um, I do think that uh, everything well, – every, all the hostages obviously are stuck here and, and the terrorists uh, uh, want to be there. So every all the action takes place within and you know surrounding the building. Um, so uh, I don't know. Maybe that's one of the things that makes Die Hard a little more special that people just don't think about. The fact that the his fact that his character is he's he's there to help. Right. Yeah. Not right. not not leave his wife. Not abandon right. that kind of thing. That'd be the quickest action movie of all time. Is it just him? <laughs> well, it's nice Good being luck, married. Guys. I guess. I'll just go. Hey, you changed your last name. I'm out of here. <laughs> Um, so let's talk about the big twist, the fact that Rickman is a thief, not a terrorist. And let's talk about Alan Rickman's performance. Um, obviously him. Okay. So Alan Rickman is one of these actors that is great at being a bad guy. Like he's just really, it's it's something, uh, ironically, John Malkovich, who we talked about last week is really good at being a bad guy. Mm -hmm. Um, um, Jeremy Irons is another actor who's really good at just being a bad guy. Jason Isaacs. Like, people just mm-hmm. – camera, the camera loves them in a really evil way. And <laughs> I know Rickman has played non-evil characters in Sense and Sensibility and Love Actually and all that. But he just – he's – just the way he delays – He's his, got a reluctant attitude about, like, uh, everything he says, right? It's yeah. like – like, oh, I wish I was. I mean, he says I, I, I'll be on a on the beach earning twenty percent. I mean, it's like he doesn't. He, he's he feels like he's just doing what's necessary to get to that point where he can have lots of money, sit on the beach, and not have to do anything. Right? He's just he just put up the uh, he just pretended to be a terrorist long enough so that he could pull off his con, 
and and his heist. I disagree. I think he he relishes a lot. I mean, there's this scene where he looks at the model of the um, building. He's like, "Oh, I love building models as a kid. I love all the meticulous attention to detail," which is an analogy for. Well, I don't mean he I wants to just like do nothing. Crafting a heist. No, I think he loves this kind of thing, and I think that's why he's so good at it, and that's why he takes such pride when she says, like, oh, you're just a thief. And he's like, I'm an exceptional thief because this is what I'm good at. It's kind of like the Walter White syndrome, I think, from Breaking Bad. Is that this is something he's good at, and he relishes it, and he enjoys it. And yeah, sure, I think he's using a figure of speech of sitting on the beach earning 20%. The money doesn't hurt, but I can almost guarantee you he'd be doing something else along these lines afterward. You know, it, it, it's, it's something that he's good at, and he wants to... I think do more of. It could have been interesting if uh, Rickman had survived the movie and gone on to the, you know. I'd like to see a diehard sequel. uh, (laughs) Like it's almost a Moriarty, Sherlock Holmes situation. Or uh, the way they, you know, the sequels to Sounds of the Lambs were, you know, Hannibal and not not Clarice Starling. (laughs) Um, No, I just, I, I agree with Mike. I think that he, that's why the line that he's just a common thief is so um, hurtful to him because he wants people to know how good he is at what he does. Yeah, because that's like one of the few few moments when you see him crack and break. And talk um, quickly and yeah, get and, and angry. Yeah, and really get in someone's face like that. Yeah, he does it a little bit to, to McLean, but it's always still controlled. Like, you can see he's kind of getting to him. The only person who ever gets to him like that is what Holly says, that, you know, you're just a thief. That's all you are. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, my other favorite moments is... My, my other favorite line in the movie is when he's rattling off um, terrorist organizations. Oh. And he, uh, he, and said, he misses like, something like the Asian Dawn and mm-hmm. the other um, the other major terrorist looks at him and like gives him this look. He's like, I read about it in Time Magazine. Time magazine. The way he says that. It's just <laughs> so good. And I, I think I really love all the other terrorists in this movie. Like every one of these terrorists has a little bit of a personality to them. Yes. And they're they, not they they're, like of some of them like are Euro trash like – uh, they have the two br- blonde, you know, like Euro Trash brothers, brothers. But you've yeah. got the, um, you also have the uh, uh, the Asian, awesome Asian bad guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, who takes the candy bar. Uh, Ali takes the candy bar, stealing ha- the candy bar. Which, again, the candy bar <laughs> beat is like so something that the movie doesn't need structurally, but just is a, a flourish that the movie has. It just gives it like a personality. Like the right. fact that he grabs the Nestle Crunch, Nestle's Crunch Bar is just... He's like, oh, I want that candy bar. Like, it get, makes the it makes that character seem, I don't know. He, he doesn't say anything. But it just makes it seem feel, real. They feel like real characters, and I think like they they all of them have that or entertaining um, at the very least. Right. I mean, even even the uh, the hacker guy. I mean, is is just a really interesting character. Like, just how he got involved. He he kind of puts a lot of questions on the screen where you're thinking, like, well, you know, how did he get involved? What's this guy like? Theo. Like, how did they? Well, the, right, exactly. Yeah. The thing that's annoying about um, the hacker guy, and I actually really like him in this movie, is every movie after this now has an annoying eccentric hacker that has this yeah. exact same personality. <laughs> like but all, no, no, his no, his was a little bit different. He was just like a weird guy. Like I didn't get really like super nerdy. I think he's even talking about a football game at some point. Like he was just a little bit weird. But it wasn't to he me. He does use a lot of sports references because when they blow up the ATV, he's like, "The quarterback is toast." Oh yeah. So he, yeah. And then he, when they shoot the uh, security guard, he is talking about sports. Basketball, so yeah. So uh, yeah, that is that is interesting. Like I'm, hmm, you're right. Maybe he's not. He's like uh, he's like a nerdy jock. Yeah, <laughs> but a hacker, the hacker assistant for bad guys, definitely became a trope in, in action movies. Right. This. Yeah. Even yeah, in yeah. other subsequent Die Hard movies. Oh yeah. Um, which is there was it, even a hacker sidekick for Bruce Willis in one I think in Die Hard Four, die hard, uh, yeah. Live Free or Die Hard. Um, the thing is, I mean, I'm in love with 
I mean, I actually I've never seen the fifth Die Hard. I never watched. No, I, I watched a few minutes, and it's really bad. Yeah, so I, I just didn't. I didn't feel the need. But the first four movies, I actually think are pretty good. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Die Hard Two is the weakest of the bunch. I would argue that Die Hard yeah. Three might almost be as good as Die Hard. I mm-hmm. think Die Hard with a Vengeance is a phenomenal action movie. Also, three is which is which one again? Samuel L. Ja- I- Samuel L. Jackson. That's right. Yeah, no. See, the problem with that movie is it, it, it carries on the second half of the first one. It, it's it's very big. It's good. It's a good movie. I liked it, and I think uh, it has a. Poor it's, it's definitely better than the second one. But yeah, it's just the endings, it's, because I like the, I like the smaller stakes and, and relatively smaller stakes I, in the first movie. I guess the reason I like Die Hard three is I think the again the villain is amazing, and they they do this thing in Die Hard three where they pull the same trick on us twice. The mm. idea that they're not terrorists, that they just want money, and it's just. And I don't know. I just, I find that very the second one's Jeremy Irons, and he's the brother of uh, Hans Gruber. No, right? that's Die Hard Three. Yeah, Die Hard. That's three. Yeah, yeah. Die Hard Two is that's the right. Air, that's is right. The You're airport. Right. Um, Die Hard Two is the yes. weakest because it's a Rennie Harlan film, and Rennie Harlan's an incompetent filmmaker. <laughs> uh, the, the villain is a guy trying to. Um, uh, he's a marine. He's, he's that's helping, what it was. He's helping yes. a, okay. a prisoner escape. It's a, it's a. A dictator escape, I think. Yeah, he's a Marine who's pretending to be good but ends up being bad. Right. Uh, he's got the barn hideout with all the uh, tech equipment in he it. Does, he does... Die Hard 4... Naked karate. <laughs> Live Free or... He does. <laughs> Live Free or Die Hard is, I actually think, a pretty strong movie. Uh, directed by Len Wiseman. Uh, Live Free or Die Hard has great elements to it, but I think that's a movie where you're talking about how the third act, Mike, in 1 and 3 goes a little bit too much. Die Hard 4 has that problem because it literally has John McClane fighting an F... 15 fighter plane and it's like up until up until that point you're like oh i can totally buy this and all of a sudden it's like okay he doesn't have to fight an actual yeah it it, and that's what ruins the joy of that character for me is i like seeing a smart guy get out of intense situations but not not a superhuman not a superhuman fighting like uh the you know entire army the superhuman moment in die hard to get back to that is is uh him jumping off the roof with a fire hose tied around his waist right Absolutely. <laughs> you don't like that moment, Mike? No. No, it's I great. don't. Because I, oh, it's you're great. so wrong. It's, oh, I can't tell you. What, I, I saw this movie. See, I saw this movie for the first time on cable. I didn't, I, I've never seen Die Hard in a theater. And I remember that, that scene just being so memorable. Him, uh, like the build up to the scene, the suspense. I was like, what the, what, what's he going to do? He's stuck no. on the roof. He's nowhere to go. No. A fire hose. He's going to, what? He's going to tie that around. That sounds like so much fun. <laughs> You know, I mean, because, you know, there's something about swinging on a rope and vines, just like Indiana Jones with his no whip. there's no way. Like, he would have been cooked in that explosion uh, so fast. Who like, cares? And, and the, the, no. But then, I, I'll tell you what I bought. I bought the whole machine gun rope in the elevator, sh- or the ventilation shaft. That was terrifying, and that was more believable. The fire hose, I'm like, come on. Because then there's this weird physics thing where, like, a round object <laughs> acts as a grappling hook, and then, like, he d- I'm like, come on. Uh, it, what? And that's when it gets ridiculous for me. Like, it was a little uh, bit before that. I think I, the minute the choppers show up, that's where I'm, I'm out. Uh, now, the reason that scene works is because every other scene up until that point has been relatively, you know, I don't want to say low key because Die Hard isn't a low key movie, but I mean, the, the, uh, the stunts and the stunts in action yeah. aren't, uh, you know, you, you watch you watch an action movie now, and this makes me it makes it sound like an old fogey, but I mean they're full of spectacular moments. Even a movie like Mad Max is like, you know, everything is just uh, turned up, you know, to the maximum intensity, you know, as, as intense as you can get. Die Hard's, uh, you know, has a certain uh, tone, uh, you know, to the action where it's suspenseful, and just like you were talking about the scene where him, where he's crawling through an elevator shaft or or trying to escape. You know, it's a, it's a relatively quiet scene where he's lowering himself down an elevator shaft. I mean, those kinds of scenes, it's it's like the quiet, loud, quiet, loud kind of um, 
stuff that uh, you know you hear and say you know and and rock rock and roll and, and you know music verse chorus verse it's uh, it, you know it pays off with like a, a big spectacular ending and it's more potent because the stuff before wasn't so um, over the top so I think you know that you know for me I, that I build think up it does the opposite perfectly. though I feel like I, I think you're talking about intensity not necessarily scale because if you screw up the scale you set up a small world and you blow it out of the box and it's just, it's completely too big. The tone's not right versus intensity where you, you have, you have intense, you know, a lull, intense lull. I think you do that with the drama on screen and the characters, not necessarily with the size of the explosions. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's a bit of a Chekhov's gun situation though, right, Mike? Like how can you not blow up the roof when the entire movie they've been setting up, the roof is primed with explosives. You have no, to blow and, up and that I, roof, right? I get that. I, I, I get that. It's it's like I said, it's I think it's just the fire hose thing. I think it's just him jumping off. I don't or, know. I think that's such even, a great honestly, visual I, moment. I was okay. I think I was even okay with the whole um Ah no, I think they And the way Bruce Willis kinda gets, calls attention to the ridiculousness of the situation when he's like, Oh John, come on, I'm gonna swear. So yeah, how the fuck did you get into this shit? This, I mean, obviously, no one can deliver the line like Bruce Willis, but I mean, just the way he's no, talking to didn't. himself. No, and, that wasn't good. You know, it's just it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's yeah. All right. No, no, I wish I, you could play a clip from that. I, I can play that clip. Yeah. Oh, John, what the fuck are you doing? How the fuck did you get into this shit? from like I, I, I don't know it just it's much more realistic and then it gets you, you bring in the the FBI and you got the choppers and the armored car honestly even the armored car at that point I still was okay with because I, I felt you know when they when they blow up the car right you're still getting McLean saying like what are you doing you didn't have to do that you don't have to kill those guys like what, what's wrong with you there's still an attention to detail as like those were people in that thing they were they were men they were doing their job like that wasn't right versus like oh we're just gonna blow up a you know the, the, the chopper and the whole building goes it just gets a lot dumber at that point and it gets a lot more a lot less attentive to detail which Hans Gruber himself would agree with me on I mean I think he's just yeah, he would be behind me every step <laughs> well, of the way well I think the reason um, I like the fire hose thing is uh, I think that A it makes a great I think it's a great climax visually I think that it's I think that if you set up that there's a really tall building, I think it's very intriguing to watch a guy jump off of it. That's I think that's a great, like, again, the movie paying off everything it sets up. But beyond that, I love how he just doesn't just jump off. And I love how, okay, so even that tiny little moment is structured like a three-act structure, right? So he jumps off the roof, and then he has a moment where he's like, oh, crap, I need to make it into the window, So and I'm not strong enough to break it. So then he has to push off of it, shoot it with his uh, bloody feet standing in the window, and then shoot it with his gun so he can crash through. And then once right, he's in, right. in, in the facsimile of safety, he's going to be pulled down by the very yeah. anchor that saved him. Right. So it, it's... Even yeah, even, I, even I that, that sequence is it perfectly paced. Like it's just not just one moment. It's it's a structured moment that really feels amazing. So by the time he actually that 
goes away and he's safe there, like you breathe as an audience, like, oh, thank God he's back inside that building. <laughs> so I, I just think it's right. amazingly I, I, done. And, and what's, what I love I about that scene, of course, scene. is that he's that he's landed right in the offices of where, you know, he originally, I, I think I actually didn't think about this until this this time watching it. I mean, he, he swings into the uh, the place where all the hostages were being held, and right into Nakatomi's uh, office, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so, no, 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 no. He's not in the lobby. I think he's in, no. He's not in the lobby. He's he's he swung the where he's landed when he comes through the window. At that point, is in what? in the space with the fountain and and is you it? Know, no, it isn't. It is. No, no, no. It is because no, then he, he runs up into... the stairs where you you saw Alan Rickman go up and down a bunch of times. Was he not in the? I thought he was in uh, Nakatomi's office where he was. I thought it, yeah, Maybe I'm wrong. You might be right. I thought he right was, in, thought he was in the boardroom. Yeah, that's where I think he is. Be- because is, he okay, he, he goes he, he, he goes anyway. back to like, the pond when he's like, "Where's Holly?" That's when he goes to the hostage slash pond area. Hmm. Right. We'll okay, possibly, out. but I. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I only watched it a day ago, but it was wrong. I mean, with me. if you remember, I mean, the, the helicopter. <laughs> fall, I mean, anyway, yeah, the helicopter explodes through the window. The elevator blows up. I mean, it's like. I love the kind of like over the topness of that scene. I mean, it, it's you know, I feel like the movie's earned it at that point. And you know, I, I love the, the detail of the elevator, like ding, and then you know, it's a, it's a great moment. You know, um, the other the other major and closing out, we're nearing the end of the movie here anyway, but kind of winding down. I think that Rickman's death is that shot of Rickman falling is mm-hmm. one of the great shots in movies. Mm-hmm. I think it is yeah, one of the great use of slow motion in mm-hmm. cinema. Uh, one of the most yeah. memorable shots like it, it i don't know how they shot that and how it doesn't look shitty like mm-hmm. normally it is green screen but it doesn't it, look bad it though. doesn't it look bad though good. because you know a comparison is like we watched indiana jones recently uh you know for this podcast and like in temple of doom when they fall into right. the off the bridge that looked green screeny and well, the battle. problem with that one is i think they, they follow the bad guys you know as he was falling i mean they, they, they try to go too far with the, with the shot but like this shot is just so good well watching some of the making of on the Blu-ray, they they did uh, drop Alan Rickman like fifty feet onto a a, a giant air, you know, bag or whatever. I believe I think they also they told him they would drop him on three and then dropped him at two. So I think his reaction, his, his <laughs> expression of terror, is actually a very genuine That's awesome. I didn't know look that. of surprise. I think he was actually pretty pissed about it too. I have to do some research on that, but I think I remember hearing about that. So I mean, just the way he falls is amazing, and then the cut to this. I mean, I think another very cinematic image of a body falling. Mm-hmm. You know, from the sky as papers billowing through the air. It's it's almost nine yeah. nine eleven. Rem, rem yeah, the papers. Yeah. Those were not the. I thought at first they were the actual bail bonds. Yeah, um, but I think it's just. I think, I it's, think just it's an office building filled paper. with paper. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, all in all, I. I it's just watching this movie so good. Like I could, <laughs> I could watch it again right now, and I'd be like, let's do it. I'm I'm all in. Like I'm I'm just a huge. It's good. It, it's. And it's one of those, I don't love action movies, but this was great. I think they, they did a good job. Um, just in every element, I think. It, and it done. just makes me sad that John McTiernan hasn't made more things. Um, after Rollerball, he was actually convicted by the FBI and was... For what? Um, so it's a pretty convoluted story, but he supposedly illegally wiretapped someone he believed was trying to screw him over in the making of Rollerball, uh, a film which is notoriously known for being one of the worst movies ever made. Um Starring, uh, who's the guy from Election? Chris, uh, he was, in, God, I can't think of his name right now. He's in Election. He's in American Pie. Uh, oh, uh, I can't remember. I know, what you, I know what you're talking about. Anyway, uh, <laughs> he was, uh, illegally wiretapped somebody and was thrown into jail. He pleaded guilty, no contest. And I think he recently got out of jail like a year ago and it's yeah, since he gone only bankrupt. Did a couple of years, yeah. 
Um, and I think Same. he has, hasn't made a movie since Basic, which also stars Bruce Willis and uh, Samuel L. Jackson. So um, yeah, he's a he's a guy who I think is has a great, a very strong cinematic voice. Um, and this is all the more apparent. Like if you ever want to do a. a why directors are important and, and obviously content's important, but why a cinematic eye is important. Watch John McKiernan's Die Hard and then follow it up with Die Harder directed by Rennie Harlan. You're like, this movie looks <laughs> terrible in comparison. No, to I saw Die Harder in the theater and I remember that being a good experience in 1990. Die Harder is a it, fine it, movie. It's just in, in, in the shadow of not, Die Hard. It doesn't hold up. It's just, I remember the audience really enjoying. <laughs> in the shadow of Die Hard, it, it really hurts. Uh, and I just well think, now for sure, but but you know in 1990, Die Hard wasn't seen as a seminal classic. So what was wrong with people? I don't um, know. <laughs> any final thoughts, you guys? Uh, I think we kind of covered it. I think so. Um, so I think it's a perfect movie. Dave doesn't believe in perfection, and Mike's like it's pretty good until the end. <laughs> it's, it's 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 like 75 percent really good. <laughs> <laughs> so hard to please over there. Jeez. Uh huh. Oh yeah. <laughs> Um, so Mike, closing out this podcast, any final, uh, sorry, any final, uh, where can people find you on the internet? Yes. You can find me on Twitter at Mike Morandi or, uh, go to my website at MikeMorandi.com. David? Dave Glanz on Twitter, G-L-A-N-Z or DaveGlanzProductions.com. And you can find me at LuckyNightStudios.com at Twitter at Ivan Kander. That's K-A-N-D-E-R. Um... You should check out my Spider-Man movie. You should check out my Spider-Man movie if you haven't watched that. (laughs) You can find that on my website. And I write and edit for website, Mike. Sure the shortoftheweek.com shortoftheweek.com um, so you can check out some great curated short film content there so next time um, I was vetoed in my uh, my pick or do that one later so next time we are going to do um, in honor of we're going to be recording on Groundhog Day yeah so we are going to do Groundhog Day <laughs> <laughs> and uh, by the way, for all of you, those of you listening at home, it is Groundhog Day, not Groundhogs. Apparently, days. I've been saying that wrong my entire life. <laughs> you and me both, I think. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't just me. Um, so, it wasn't just you, rather. So we will uh, watch the seminal classic starring Stephen Tobolowsky. So it'll and be, Bill Murray. And Bill Murray. <laughs> uh, so it'll, uh, it'll be a very good time. So until next time, if you uh, please like us on Facebook so you can see when the next episodes are coming out and uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review. Uh, that really helps. Um, and until next time, hey, Mike, can you give me some Harry Ellis to close this out? I feel like you could do a good impression of Harry Ellis. Hans, Booby, <laughs> I'm your white knight. <laughs> I can negotiate with this Euro trash. You kidding me? <laughs> okay, thank you, Hans. Right. Tell him you don't know me. <laughs>